Hi listeners, Jason here. We are excited to finally announce registrations for the biggest psych health and safety community event ever. The inaugural The Psych Health and Safety Conference will be held at the Sofitel Wentworth, Sydney, June 19 to 20, 2024, and offer concurrent virtual attendance. It'll feature live podcast recordings with OG researchers, including Christina Maslak and Michael Leiter of Burnout fame, Psych Health and Safety USA podcast host I, David Daniels, Australian super experts, including the likes of David Burrows, a special 10-year anniversary integrated approaches to workplace mental health panel with authors Tony LaMontagna, Angela Martin and Kat Page, hand-picked case studies from organisations doing it well, and a very special interview with plaintiff Zaggy Kozarov by Catherine Donlop on that High Court case which we previously covered on the podcast. This event will sell out. Get in quick to secure tickets at early bird prices for the two-day conference, pre-conference masterclasses and the VIP dinner. The first 200 in-person registrations also get a copy of her latest book, The Burnout Challenge, signed by Christina Maslach herself. Find out more and register at www.psychhealthandsafetyconference.com. Now, on to this episode. From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Jason Van Shee, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. The aim of the podcast is to rapidly increase the knowledge and application of psychological health and safety in workplaces worldwide. To help with this, we have regular guests from around the world who are leading the way in this important area. But before I introduce our guest and topic for today, allow me to introduce my co-host, Joelle Mitchell. How are you today, Joelle? Hi. Well, it's our first recording of the year. Yeah. Um, do you remember how to do it? We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, so we are both just recently returned from holidays as well. Uh, so good thing we've got a friendly guest on today. Uh, yes. I, I fear that we will be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think she's going to have to carry us today, I think. That's yeah. all right. That's so, mostly how but, it goes. But you had a good break? I did, yes. I yeah. didn't do very much at all, which yeah. was nice. Um, yeah, just relaxed, read some books, spent time with the family. Yeah, did you go see some puppies? Puppy did, farm? yeah. I went to see my dad and, yeah, there's always puppies there. So, um, yeah, it was good. Nice. Nice. And you? No puppies for me. No. 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 Uh, but no, we had a good time now down Albany Way in a place called Shane's Beach with uh, my extended family. It was my dad's 70th birthday, so that was nice to spend it with them. Uh, and then we had a cheeky second holiday to Tassie uh, and even caught up with uh, Adam Nebs and Angela Martin as well. Just uh, it was like yesterday, but it was the day before, so Sunday. Had a nice beer uh, at a local brewery there. So, nice. Yeah. I haven't been to Tasmania. Oh, beautiful. Stunning. I'll have to show you the um, the nature porn photos that I've got. It's not like, what it sounds like. Is that of animals no, doing no, things? No, it's just like really good photos of like the scenery and stuff. It's, okay. um, it's stunning. And we got absolutely beautiful weather. So it can be really hit and miss yeah. uh, in Tassie, but it was, it was stunning. So, yeah, I'll show you That's, later. All right. Yeah. Just as long as it's only. Nature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure we're saying the same thing. No, no, we aren't. Um. <laughs> safe, safe for work only, please. Yeah. Okay. No, of course. I, I know how to run a professional of it. <laughs> All evidence to the contrary. I can't say that with a straight face. All right, but we should probably uh, introduce yes. our uh, guest in for today. Let's do that. Okay, yeah. So she's an organisational psychologist, national committee member for the Australian Psychological Society, College of Organisational Psychologists, and executive committee member for Perth Learning Professionals. 
She's a tertiary educator lecturing in business psychology and organizational psychology master's programs. She is the deputy director of the Master of Industrial and Organizational Psychology program at the University of Western Australia. A very warm welcome to the podcast, Shannon Butcher. Thank you so much. Looking forward to chatting to you today. Yeah, likewise. Um, but uh, Joel's going to do more of a discussion with you in a second, but how do you find the time? Just reading that out, that just makes me exhausted. I know, there's a lot and there's a couple of other things I didn't put on there too. Oh. Um, but when you love what you do, you know, Jason. Oh, you never um, work it down in your life, exactly. right? Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeepers. Um, yeah, no, look, really looking forward to the discussion today. Thank you, me too. All right, so um, before we do that, what podcast do you like to listen to? Love this question. Um, of course, probably not surprising to either of you, anything with psychology, anything that shares insights into like the latest scientific research and all of those things so I don't have to read it all myself and get insights from clever guests like you have on here. Um, so, of course, Adam Grant, Work Life is a favourite, but one of my absolute favourites is Amanda Imber's How I Work. Have you seen her, her one? Yeah, she's awesome. She's an org psych as well and she has all these guests on who share tips and tricks about doing all of the amazing things that they do in their workplaces and that's a good one. But then if I hadn't been a business psych, um, I would have done forensic psychology so also have a love for true crime podcasts on the side as well. Nice. I, I would, had started listening to true crime and then I was having too many dark thoughts so I just... <laughs> switch it across <laughs> yeah i'm sure some of them were directed at me too so i'm glad you stopped listening <laughs> as well that you could totally get away with it necessarily a preventative for me having dark thoughts about <laughs> you jason um tell us about your professional career please shannon sure uh how far back do you want me to go from the very beginning uh it's a very good place to start yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you suck. Um, Sorry, Jason, not you, Shannon. <laughs> thank you. Thanks yeah. For maybe maybe specify in under five minutes, and then that kind yes. of like yeah, you know, gives you an idea of how far back to go. Yeah. So finished um, the masters in org psych at UWA, and then had no idea what I wanted to do. Went to a networking event, and someone offered me a job, and I said yes um, without thinking too much about it. So started my career in strategic HR with a large government organisation, and got quite quickly humbled, thinking that I knew everything about everything, and realising that actually I didn't know very much about anything at all. And so it was a really great start. I think starting with HR and understanding of policy. Procedure, complex large organisations. Then went into consulting um, in a boutique consultancy for about five years, which was incredible because it just gave you that breadth of all of these different organisations, all of these different challenges, these incredible leaders that you got to work with and learn from. Um, then moved to the Future of Work Institute with the incredible Sharon Parker and Pat Dunlop and team where I got to work a lot in mental health and wellbeing with their Thrive framework and their smart work design, which was incredible um, with lots of different organisations. And now I am at UWA lecturing, getting to work with incredible people here too, where we do a lot of consulting with different organisations and also working with um, a mining organisation at the moment too, doing leadership development. So lots of different stuff, which is fun. Nice. And the, uh, 
the standard plight of the master's grad, right? Yeah. <laughs> going into work go? and realising how much you don't actually know. Yeah. Yeah, very quickly humbled. But I think it's good to get quickly humbled. Better, better, <laughs> than, better than dragging it out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, nice one. Um, so what are your main areas of research then at the moment, Shannon? Uh, so I think with UWA, I have a really cool position where I'm on the professional practice side of the program. So rather than being a traditional academic researcher, we actually get to um, work with organisations and collaborate on complex problems that they have. So rather than more research, it's more that practical applied side where we're really interested in um, leadership development, organisational development, change management, mental health and wellbeing are the areas that I'm particularly passionate about and love um, seeing what different organisations are doing. Yeah, terrific. So um, given that you do more of the uh, applied stuff, how, how, what, what do you reckon the split is like between the research stuff that you do and, and more of the uh, uh, applied? Um, so ours is 100% applied. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, so we just get to do the consulting side and then we find if organisations are interested in then turning that into research, then we can start looking at finding other partners that we can do that research with. Yeah, we spoke to some great um, researchers from UWA at the end of last year actually about some applied research that they were doing. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. there's incredible people doing and I, don't, I work here for three years and I still don't know all the cool things everyone's doing, so it's good. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so what we're going to talk with you today about was um, a research project that um, Hayden mentioned during our episode with him, uh, which was quite a while ago now. Uh, so it was to do with gathering national data about the state of work. So um, maybe to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about like what was that project and, and how did it actually get started? Yeah, awesome. So I think this project has been a real labour of love over the last three to four years. I think the idea was actually came about four years ago with uh, Mark Wiggins and Mark Douglas from the National Committee of Org Sites, where they really wanted to understand how well Australian organisations were prepared for the future of work and what was coming. Uh, and a lot of what was available at the time was global surveys, not particularly interested in Australian data, um, or from organisations trying to sell their product rather than actually looking comprehensively at what was happening and what we know matters for the future of work. So um, about two years ago, they got together with the incredible Professor Patrick Dunlop from the Future of Work Institute at Curtin Uni, who is a survey design whiz, uh, and developed the survey. And then over two years, um, as volunteering often goes, it was a slow burn to get it out to the Australian public. Yeah, <laughs> no, I understand uh, that process, and I know in academia everything moves like three times slower than uh, yeah. than everywhere yeah. else. So that that would have been quite an undertaking, poor Pat. Yeah, um, poor Pat. So, yeah. So here's a here's a question for more of the researchers in our audience. Um, what was your methodology? Oh, good question. So we actually contracted um, a market research company who did the. Um, the work for us in that. And so they um, used a company called Online Research Unit who brought together 2,025 participants Australia-wide. And then we also got uh, another 169 from recruiting through our networks through the College of Org Sykes as well. So it was quite an undertaking. Yeah, so, well, that was great. So you didn't have to find the sample yourself. 
um, you're no. able to use yeah uh, a third yeah. party for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and sorry, go. Oh, sorry. So most of the um, the the heavy lifting in terms of collecting the data was done externally. Yeah, and and we felt that that was the best approach because you can give them certain criteria that you want them to hit in terms of this state, this number of people, this gender balance, and they were able to match that so that it was representative of the Australian sample, which was pretty handy. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, um, what was the main um, things that you were trying to get in terms of the stratified sample, so age, gender, that sort of thing? Yeah, so I can share with you what we ended up with if yeah. you want me to share that. Yeah, so we ended up with I think 51% female, 49% male. Um, there was a representative sample from across all of the states and territories. We had an average age of 43 years. 74% of people had at least one university qualification and 12% had technical quals. We had um, a diverse mix of um, ethnicity and then participants were across a number of industries. So we had professional and scientific services, we had healthcare and social assistance, education, training, finance and insurance services, public administration privately funded organisations, government organisations and not-for-profits as well. So it was um, a good sample that they managed to get for us. Yeah. Um, okay. The, the You were going to ask about um, final sample size and makeup. I was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you just answered that, Shannon. That's fine. Hey, um, a question though that I was thinking about is um, obviously when you think about the future of work, uh, there's a lot of unknowns. And uh, I'd imagine when you were developing the survey that the rise of AI that we've seen just it feels like just the last six to 12 months um, maybe there wouldn't have been so many questions around that um, yeah. back when you were designing the surveys would that be accurate great question so we definitely asked some questions around AI and were people worried about robots taking the jobs which I'll share more about in a minute um, but definitely and I think that that's why we actually wanted to create this survey that would be longitudinal so this is the first time to see if there's interest in what we're doing but then what we want to do is over the years be able to adapt it and continue to share the, the data publicly and freely available so that we can start to see what are some of the things that we need to be asking in this space yeah and so then what's the plan like how often would you look at re-administering the survey <laughs> it depends on the funds that we can get so um, APS very kindly funded the survey for us and I think if we can show that there is interest from the public in these results in the findings in the recommendations that we make then we'll be able to get the funding for a number of years and what we were hoping to do is probably every two years re-administer the survey and see what's changed but also in that time seek feedback from people about what do you want to know and how can we help you to gather that data as well. Yeah absolutely. And so I guess like what were the main areas that you were exploring through the survey or the main the main topics? <laughs> there are a lot as any good org psych does but what we really wanted to do as well is make sure that it wasn't something that was too onerous for people to complete and that they had to sit there for 
30 minutes and do it too. So lots of single item measures. But we had three key areas, I guess, that we were interested in as outcome measures. And then we looked at job satisfaction, psychological safety, and then employers' concern for employees' well-being. And then on top of that, we had a number of things that we thought were important for the future of work, how people feeling towards the future of work, how prepared do they feel, but then looked at things like leadership, learning and development, organisational systems and culture as well. Okay, and this was looking at individual perceptions rather than looking at something like organisational readiness we asked yeah perceptions of how prepared do you think your organization is and we asked leaders that question and employees that question too which was quite interesting to see the difference in how prepared people thought their organization was yeah so what can you tell us about the main findings yeah so um do you want me to start with maybe the outcome measures and then i'll share some interesting things beyond that does that make the most sense yeah okay Awesome. So um, from the outcome measures, so we looked at job satisfaction and surprisingly, um, well, I was surprised, I wonder if you guys will be surprised, is that the majority of participants actually appeared satisfied with their jobs, with 59% of people saying that they were at least mostly satisfied. Um, but we did have one in five reporting um, a neutral reaction or that they were only slightly satisfied with their work. Um, we then looked at psychological safety and so we asked people with this question how psychologically safe do you feel at work and again it was reasonably positive with people saying that 60% of um, the respondents reported that they thought that their workplace was at least mostly or very safe Um, but again by contrast there were one in four employees who responded who felt either neutral or slightly unsafe or worse at work. Uh, Did, did you we, define what psychological safety was in that question? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah good. Uh, <laughs> good one. Yes. Yeah. Bone yeah. of uh, contention. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Pat, actually. I can take no credit for that. Uh, yeah. And then we also looked at concern for employees' well-being. So how much we asked people, how much do you think your employer actually genuinely cares about your well-being? And again, 52% felt that their employees cared a lot or at least a fair amount. But then again, one in five employees felt that their employer did not care about their well-being, um, which is interesting and more work to do, I think. Do you need more psych health and safety in your life? Then head over to the Flourish GX Academy for several free on-demand e-learning courses. If you're an internal professional, follow Flourish GX on Eventbrite to register for any of our free fortnightly interactive webinars. Our flagship professional practice program is also exclusively available for internal professionals. The 12-week course blends theory, applied practice, and interaction with other professionals through live lectures and a monthly community of practice session. Find out more about all these learning opportunities or inquire about a bespoke in-house training at the Flourish DX Academy, www.45003.org. Now back to this episode. I'm uh, guessing there was a high correlation between the people who are dissatisfied with their job and uh, the percentage or the people who felt that their employer didn't care about their well-being as well. Yeah, absolutely. You've got it. You know. Mm, You've done this yeah. before. We got, we got similar data. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what you, you mentioned that there were some surprises or, you know, some interesting things uh, in, in the data. Um you, you mentioned that there was some differences between how employers perceived things versus employees. 
So what were the what were some of the biggest discrepancies there? Awesome. Um, I think there were quite a few discrepancies, but one of the biggest things that was interesting to us, so probably not interesting, first of all, was that leadership matters and people's perception of their leader really impacted how satisfied and how happy they were at work. But then one of the biggest discrepancies that we saw was where we asked people how prepared they felt for the future of work. And so 78% of leaders perceived themselves to be preparing their employees well, that is for embracing new technology and work methods, whereas only 53% of employees actually agreed that this was happening. Mm. (laughs) So um, I guess there wasn't any follow-up kind of inquiry that you could do on that. So that's... Good question. Yeah. So that's why we're hoping that we can make it um, longitudinal so that we can continue to get these results and match the data back to see what are the differences and what's actually happening. But at the moment, it is just correlational and making assumptions around what we think and what we might like to ask next time. Yeah, it'd be nice to know why that discrepancy exists. Yeah. Yeah, What what were some of the other surprise findings? Oh, sorry. I was just going to say it's pretty common to see that that kind of discrepancy. you know, leaders tend to have a much more rosy view of um, work and sort of what outcomes associated with work and, and yeah. that sort of thing. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's really interesting even when like, um, you know, sort of when we talk with leaders about, um, you know, what we're seeing coming through there, um, the, the results that we get quantitatively as well as qualitative results and, um yeah, there's sort of often this perception that, oh, but, but we're already doing that and we've done this, this and this. Yeah, um, exactly. It, it's it's just very, very common and I guess the next question there is to say, all right, well, what's causing the discrepancy then, you know, and it's sort of um, I think a lot of the time we see the assumption from leaders that, oh, it's just people who are disgruntled and, and just want to be negative about everything um, rather than being curious and going, oh, well, that's interesting because, you know, from my perspective, we've communicated this and we've done this, this and this. So why is it that people are still responding that that hasn't happened? Yeah. So that's um, something that we're, we're sort of trying to encourage is to say, well, how, yeah, how about we explore that a little bit um, and, and see if, uh, if it is just disgruntlement or if, you know, if there are some other barriers there. I love that and just being curious about it. And so it's not that there's any judgment attached to any of this. It's just let's be curious and what can we do um, to make a difference in this space? And that's why we tried to put evidence-based recommendations around some things for people to reflect on. Is this something that you could be doing? Are you doing it? Are there things that you could be doing? Um, To the other interesting findings, there were quite a few, I think, One of the most interesting for me was that people are not worried that robots are going to take their jobs. I think if we listen to um, some popular media commentary that seems to be, you know, the robots are coming and everyone's really worried about what the future of work looks like. But actually um, our results suggest that over 90% of people were not worried about robots taking over their jobs and that when we asked them how they felt about the future of work, they described um, adjectives like excited, um, uh, what else was there, like um, 
elated, happy, contented, relaxed, calm. There were a couple of fatigued and stressed in there as well. But overwhelmingly, people were really positive. And I think that this points to the fact that what you were talking about before is that we have moved so much in just the last six months. But rather than robots taking over our jobs, I think what we need to look at is that augmentation of embracing technology to make work better for people. But how do we do that in a way that employees actually feel that their work is better as a result of the future of work than worse? Yeah, I think anybody who's actually interacted with OpenAI would sort of look at the, the feedback and go, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, job safe. <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah, exactly. Do, does my job involve the skill of drawing fingers? And if so, I'm, I'm set. <laughs> Yeah, or counting, yeah. surprisingly counting, enough. AI yeah. is horrible at counting. Counting yeah. or just being truthful about the existence of things. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I had to uh, counsel the students this year that ChatGTP does make up resources, so please check. Um, but still, I think got through. That came up with uh, when I caught up with Adam Nebs. Yeah, yeah. Not surprisingly, we talked about some nerdy stuff as well as like the weather and, and other things. Um, but he was saying that he tried using ChatGPT to help him find references for some of his PhD research. And um, he looked at some of the citations and abstracts and he's like, how did I not come across this before? This is like perfect. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just completely made up. So, uh, yeah, horrible. <laughs> it's so funny. But that's the thing. That's what tips you off to it being fake is because they are so good and they yeah. sound amazing. You're like, yeah. And then you go to look and it doesn't actually exist. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a real shame. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so, any, any other surprises or interesting findings? Yeah, well, there were some interesting ones. I'm trying to think what your audience would find most interesting, and I think um, probably not surprising, but interesting was that leadership actually really matters, and um, we found that um, I guess. One of the interesting things for me, this time last year I was doing a talk and I used an American stat that I had found where they said that 70% of people had described their boss as the worst part of their day. Um, but our results show not that, that Australia may be doing a little bit better. And so we found that actually 80% of people who responded suggested that their boss was accessible, their boss was supportive, flexible, open to suggestions for improvements. Um, there were certainly things that they could do better in terms of understanding how to support them individually to prepare them for the future of work, as we were talking about, and support their own learning and development and growth uh, and giving effective feedback. Um, but I think that it painted a more positive picture than maybe we were expecting, which I think is quite nice too. Yeah. Did it um, talk about the relative importance of, of leaders then? So like you said, with the American study, they were saying that, you know, 70% of people were saying that it was like the worst part of their day, like the, yeah. having to interact with their leader. Yeah. Um, was there anything that spoke to the importance, I guess, in creating a psychologically healthy and safe workplace about the importance of leadership in, in getting that right? Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of job satisfaction, we found that there was a strong relationship between those leaders who are able to project a clear plan about the future and where the organisation was heading. And those leaders who were able to do that, um, there was high levels of satisfaction for employees. And then um, those leaders who were able to promote a supportive environment, um, probably no surprises, were more like their employees were more likely to report a more psychologically safe environment as well. 
Yeah. So definitely, yeah. Yeah, and the reason I bring that up is that we see that some organisations, when they're starting their psych health and safety uh, programs, is a lot of it's really top down or it's run just by like the health and safety team, maybe the HR team gets involved, um, but leadership don't really have a lot of input or there's not necessarily training to upskill them around what could they be doing to you know, to, to identify and address some of these psychosocial hazards at a team level. It's all done at an, at an organisational level. Um, but we just can't, see it, it can't actually work unless you bring leaders along on the journey. Absolutely. I could not agree more with that. And I think that um, I saw research by Gartner a while ago where they were suggesting that leaders wouldn't be needed by 2045 because we have AI and algorithms to do all of the work. But then their recent research suggested that actually, you know, during the pandemic, leaders were so integral to the well-being of their employees and that um, they we're revising those predictions. <laughs> yeah, 2070. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you look at things like industry or kind of um, job type? That's probably not quite the right label for it, but yeah. Very clever, Pat did, and I think there is just so many combinations. I think we'll continue to look at the data, but one of the interesting things, and we can't make too many causality kind of remarks around this, but it is interesting to reflect on one of the things was that we found that um, smaller and private organisations tended to do better across all of the outcome measures and particularly organisations with employees under nine employees reported high levels of satisfaction, psychological safety and more concern for well-being. And so I think there's some interesting things that we could follow up with in that. And um, perhaps not surprisingly, but sadly, government organisations tended to be described as change-resistant and pedantic. Um, no. So there's some work to do there. <laughs> you, yeah. No, I say no. As you actually had a research question around that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, the, I guess the, the impact of that on things like, um, you know, optimum team size and that sort of thing as well, even like in a large organisation, mm. um, if you can almost conceptualise that as being made up of lots of small organisations and actually treat those teams in that way. Um, that Yeah, that's an interesting path to think about. Well, and that is exactly what we're reflecting on. I think that do we make these networks of teams and is that potentially something that could help alleviate some of that complexity across those large organisations while reducing the bureaucracy apparently is important too. Yeah, centralised versus decentralised control and then, you know, what's yeah. what's good for wellbeing isn't necessarily good for things like public safety and all of that, Yeah. Yeah. Is this just pushback because I said you're going to have 20 psychs reporting to you by the end of the year? You... It might be blaring like a klaxon in the front of my brain at the moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe nine's Opt- optimum, enough. Optimum nine's team enough. Size. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so what actions would you or, or the broader team like to see as a result of this research? 
Um, so we put in a number of evidence-based recommendations around each of the key findings that we found, hoping that it would be a resource that business leaders could go to um, and just reflect on, as I said before, are these things that we are doing, are these things that we could be doing better? And I think to your point before, Joelle, about getting really curious um, around how their organisation is actually going. I appreciate that these are generalised results, but what we would love to see people do is get curious about how their organisation is actually going, understanding that you're a unique system, um, that there are evidence-based recommendations, but what are you doing that's actually working? What are the things that are working well? But what are the things that you can be doing better and really understanding that Um, And I think also what we would love to see is people working together. So rather than just HR or health and safety working and this being on them and the future of work, this is really an alignment across organisations where we'd love to see people working together to really tackle these complex challenges across systems. Yeah, that's certainly sort of the where we see potentially the the greatest um, opportunity is better collaboration between those those different functional teams that have sort of operated uh, largely discreetly from each other um, and really like a bigger role for those teams to play in sort of coaching and, and supporting line managers in actually implementing um, policy and systems in a way that suits their teams, I think. So having really well-established policy but with enough flexibility for, for leaders to be able to apply that in um, – humanistic ways maybe absolutely and in a way that makes sense for their team giving that sense of autonomy around okay these are the the rules but this is what you can do with it because you understand your team and I think line leaders get a bad rap and they have one of the hardest jobs in an organization um, so many responsibilities and so I think that that's a really great way forward is to take that coaching role of how can we support you to actually enact this and what do you need from us yeah. So are, are the results of this uh, research publicly available yet, Shannon? They certainly are. I think that they are on the APS College of Org Psych website. Um, if people can't find it, they can absolutely um, reach out to me and I will share it. And I think we've also shared it on our LinkedIn too. Yeah, we'll definitely share the link on our show notes uh, yep. as, as well to make it easier for people to find. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, great. Hey, um, it's been um, yeah, interesting talking about the, the research with you, Shannon, but one question we like to ask all, I guess, at about this stage is, um, you know, if you were to think about the future of workplace mental health, what would your hopes be? Oh, I love that question. And it's actually similar, I guess, to what you asked your, re- your research participants around what are your hopes or what do, you, what do you think about the future of work? I'm thinking what's the future of workplace mental health specifically? I think the future of I think that the future of workplace mental health is really bright. There's a lot of um, negativity and a lot of um, I think uncertainty around this space. But I think that a lot of people, more than I've ever experienced, now care about it and genuinely want to do something that um, is meaningful, is evidence based, is going to work. And so my hope is that. People do collaborate and work together with this complex problem so that we can actually make a real difference for employers and make work a little bit better for everybody. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a community effort. There's uh, lots of people with lots of different skill sets and and, and all the rest that, yeah, do need to come together on this. So, yes, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. 
Making work not suck. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Absolutely. Adam Grant. <laughs> That's what I was quoting. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, parting words of advice for listeners who want to work in the area of psych health and safety. Do it. It is amazing. It has been the best journey. I feel so grateful for being in this space. I think you get to work with incredible people who are so clever from all of these different walks of life who have different experiences and you can learn so much from each other um, if you really listen and are curious about it. So I say do it. It's the best. But do it (laughs) (laughs) evidence-based. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I do, I think what I've picked up throughout this um, chat that we've had is your personal focus on learning in everything that you've done is what have I learned out of this and how have I grown and um, and, and that's come through in that advice as well, that, um, yeah, that lifelong learning approach, um, which is really important when uh, your profession is to be a science practice, scientist practitioner. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. Well, uh, Shannon, thanks again for, for coming on the podcast um, and representing APS, College of Organisational Psychologists, so well in their research. So, uh, yeah, you. and uh, say hi, hi to Pat for us. Absolutely, I will. Thanks so much, guys. It's lovely. All right, listeners, that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, remember, we do record these over video whenever we have our guests on. Uh, you might want might not want to rewatch this one, but you might want to watch previous uh, podcast guests on uh, the Flourish DX YouTube page. Uh, we also take snippets and share the best uh, of these episodes on the Flourish DX LinkedIn page. And while you're on LinkedIn, uh, do make sure that you connect with myself and Joelle and Shannon uh, if you want to continue the conversation. Uh, but that's it for today. We'll catch you next episode. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.